And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Hey, everybody, and thanks for joining us again on The Sustainability Story. Our guest today is Bill Burkhart, President and COO of the Investment Integration Project. And he's going to talk to us today about system-level investing and the book he and Steve Leidenberg wrote, 21st Century Investing. Bill, great to see you again. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, a lot of people are going to be new to the concept of systems-level investing uh, and may not have heard of TIIP. So tell us a little bit about how you got here to TIAP uh, and a little bit about the Investment Integration Project. Yeah, great. Um, so I often describe this field as kind of like the Island of Misfit Toys from the 1994 movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And because <laughs> we all have these kind of interesting backgrounds and nothing's really standardized. So, um, you know, I'm no different. I, you know, my formal training was in policy and economics and international affairs from George Washington and Johns Hopkins. And and the focus of my work kind of both in graduate school, but then in my first real kind of related work experience in this industry was really around kind of focusing on how the young venture capitalists from the dot-com boom era essentially changed philanthropy. And that led to this initial work supporting impact performance analysis with a pioneering firm called Venture Philanthropy Partners based in the national capital region. And it was interesting because at VPP was where I was initially introduced to the discipline of systems dynamics, which is kind of essentially underpinning all of TIP's work and right. and where I first came across Danella Meadows, who essentially wrote the seminal book on systems dynamics. And a lot of my work has really just been this kind of straddling this line of you know both field building research type work, as well as kind of applying a lot of that research and work into actual consulting engagements, essentially helping investors apply a lot of the theories that um, I was developing independently or in or, uh, concert with others. When we started five years ago, there was, I mean, I, I often think about you to describe as the system level investment highway, and it wasn't a very crowded intersection on that no. highway. Um, and it's, and as you know, I mean, it's only gotten more crowded, which is super heartening, but just kind of speaks to Steve being essentially uh, ahead of the pack um, in most cases. Yeah, I remember being at, I think it was 2015, 2016, uh, being at a meeting in Boston with you guys. Yeah. And it was a room with about a dozen people in it. John Lukomnik, our first guest on the podcast, was one of the people in the room. And uh, you're right. I mean, it was, you know, people were just starting to get their heads around ESG investing. And then you guys come out and said, well, that's, you know, that's not enough. You have to think about more. Uh, so, and and if you'll remember that meeting, I mean, that was, so we had in 2015 uh, launched that initial white paper that we stood up in front of everybody to kind of tell us, are you crazy and go back to the yeah. woodshed, you know, or encourage us to go further. And 
fortunately people did. And the meeting that you were at was the real result of what people told us to do next, which was gather evidence, tell us who's actually doing what and how what they're doing at a system level is different from portfolio focused sustainable investing. And I think in that meeting, which I thought was really interesting was instead of us telling the story of what Calsters was doing or what Sonin Capital was doing or what BlackRock was doing, we had representatives of all those firms basically talking about it. Um, and really, you know, I, I distinctly remember one of the pensions that was in the room basically saying, you know, we didn't think of ourselves as having a systems orientation until we started to really think about the types of strategies we were pursuing. And, and that was powerful. And I think it gave us a lot of the encouragement we needed to, to really give it a go and, and try to build something out here um, that seemingly is having an impact now. Well, you and you and Steve uh, wrote a book that came out er, earlier this year, uh, 21st Century Investing, that uh, I, we can, well, I guess I am plugging it and, and you can plug it. <laughs> uh, but, but I wanted to, you know, people can go, can go ahead and read it, but we'll give them a little taste in, in, the, in this podcast of what is the, you know, what's the thesis of that book and trying to, trying to introduce them to system levels investing. What is, what is that all about? Yeah. So the basic thesis of the book is that it's essentially time for a new way to think about investing if we're going to contend with all these really big, complex challenges that we face today. Um, and in the book, we essentially challenge a lot of, you know, we, we probe a little bit deeper into, okay, so we talk about these big systemic challenges. And how are those different from what we faced before as investors? And, uh, you know, we, we, reinforce this kind of point about that they're fundamentally destabilizing, that they're new and different, that they are social and environmental in nature, they're global, they're interconnected, they're complex. Um, and that more importantly, when you step back, they for investors, they, they essentially threaten long-term investment returns across all asset classes in ways that traditional risk management cannot cope with. And right. I guess just to put it slightly differently, we're no longer, you know, when you the sustainable investment kind of movement emerged. It came out of like a lot of the environmental advocacy work. It came out of various human rights things like anti-apartheid work. Um, but a key illustration of just the scale, like when we talk about these issues and that we need to fundamentally rethink our approach to them, is take something like the Love Canal. So this was that classic example. It was the river in Buffalo that literally caught fire because it was so polluted. And that was kind of one of those interesting catalyst for why sustainable investors started to get involved and get at, and, and get motivated. We're not talking though anymore about like a river in Buffalo catching fire. We're talking about melting polar ice caps and that mm -hmm. we now need to manage the uncertainties posed by these big global issues like climate change and income inequality. And so in the book, we basically challenge a lot of the basic principles around conventional investing, which you know, there's not an intentional consideration of ESG factors or sustainable investing where, yeah, there is a consideration of these factors, but only at the portfolio level. And we basically say, like, look, if you're going to build stable, resilient foundations for investments across all asset classes, you now need to shift that prism to, uh, to a different level, i.e. the mm -hmm. system level. Mm -hmm. Contrast, if you will, or explain to, to investors uh, about the difference between systems level investing and double materiality that I think a lot of people are starting to hear about. You know, people are starting in the ESG world, have looked to integrate ESG into the investment process using material ESG data. And over the past couple of years, we started to hear this term double materiality, you know, that arrow, arrow of materiality going one way. How does the environment of that company impact that company? 
and then the arrow going the other way, the double materiality is how does that company impact its environment, whether it's an E or an S, you know, uh, in, a, in a broader sense. And is 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 what you guys are doing the same, diff- a different flavor of, of that? Just because I know a lot of people that we talk to in the investment world are starting to think about double materiality. And I just want to give them a better understanding of what systems level investing is in that world. Yeah, absolutely. So, so from our perspective, the whole conversation around double materiality is super important, right? And we see, see it as this kind of important step to really starting to get investors getting their hands around the kind of complexity and interconnection that we're seeing. And it also gets investors thinking about not just risks inherent to a company, but also the risk that a company is posing to these other big systems. Um, But I think there's, you know, we caution that there's a limit, right? And, And there's a limit in the sense that when we talk about double materiality, oftentimes you know, it lacks the acknowledgement of the fact that what might be material today may not be to material tomorrow, and that that inher- inherent kind of dynamic quality of systems right. is just somewhat missing from these. And I think that's where you know this idea of dynamic materiality, double material—these are all good stepping stones. Um, but that you know, we just have to be mindful of the fact that all of this, all of this, is going to be affected by regulations expectations, scientific findings, and all these other factors that are going to evolve from industry to industry and from time to time. So net net statement is positive development, but there are more things that we could be doing to kind of capture the durability of a lot of these things. And that'll come in time. Yeah. I think the y'all's book, your book, 21st Century Investing is a great compliment to, uh, and we mentioned before, John LeComnick's book and Steve Hawley's book. Uh, moving beyond modern portfolio theory. Uh, John was the first, our first guest on the podcast. Uh, and I always had designs of, of having both of you guys uh, on the podcast, but I wanted to put a little distance between the two. Uh, so now everyone listening has to go back and listen to that if they haven't already. Uh, and then and if they've listened to the first one, then I'm going to tell them they have to listen to this one. But how, you know, and we've talked before about this t- topic. How do, how do you see those ideas and those books complementing each other uh, and on where they address the ESG landscape? Yeah, I mean, it, it's unsurprising that these books really ultimately serve one another. And that, I mean, at, at the end of the day, when TIP was first started, this was back when John was still the head of IRC Institute, which was like right. one of the leading funders of a lot of sustainable investing research and thought leadership. Right. He underwrote, John as leader of that, underwrote so many of Tip's earlier work. And, and so he had been thinking, as, at the same time that Steve was starting to think about this concept, John was thinking about it from a slightly different lens. And so it, it was just happenstance by and by that both these books came out at the same time they did. Like we, we marked our delivery date our publication date back in like i think this was june of 2019 and and john and jim were having their own conversations around the time they didn't even have like a clear uh delivery date yet it just just so happened the publication dates lined up that aside if you think about their book so john lacoma jim holly they write moving beyond modern portfolio theory and and really what their work does is it essentially um explores and interrogates the limitations of modern portfolio theory for essentially understanding the impacts of investors on the kind of overarching, when we talk about these overarching environmental, social, and financial systems, Mm -hmm. um, 
and that they don't modern portfolio theory essentially doesn't provide the kinds of tools for investors to mitigate the kind of havoc that these systemic risks can wreck on portfolios. Right. And so their basic thing is it's it's the theory part and it's the explanation of why. Yeah, you know, why is it important for investors to now make this transition and to expand or enhance how they think about modern portfolio theory? So that's the why. Where my book with Steve Leidenberg comes in on 21st century investing is essentially it demonstrates the how. So in particular, right. the book really goes into and provides investors with this process for, you know, we have this success process, it's like setting goals, deciding where to focus, allocating assets, apply investment tools, leverage advanced techniques, and evaluate results. And so it essentially helps investors build on current practice by incorporating these system level perspectives. Um, and so that's that's essentially at, at its most basic. John and Jim's book talks about the why of system level investing. My and Steve Leidenberg's book talks about the how. So we're we're recording this in early November, and this will or no mid November now, and this will come out about two or three weeks from now. So the, it's it, they'll they they'll be just in time for Christmas to to get the, the financial geek in your our book uh, is cheaper. That, if that's what you're, you're taking me up to ask. <laughs> no, I was going to say both. I was going to say both. You're gonna bring, uh, you're gonna you're gonna bust open that stocking with both those books in it. Exactly. You, you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you talked a little bit about in the in the in the, in the six step process you guys talk about in the book, but I want to dig a little deeper into that. And, you know, thinking about system level investing, how can investors, you know, do this practically, you know, manage the risks through system level investing and go a little bit deeper into the six, uh, six steps you just talked about? Yeah. So, I mean, at a really high level. So when you are integrating a system level kind of like integrating system level risk management in general, right? It involves both this kind of extension of current conventional investment techniques. And what we say is like this adoption of these newer methods that are currently, I mean, they're literally being pioneered in real time. So, so a lot of this is, you know, it's, 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 we're building the runways we're taking off, but the idea is that these various techniques can exercise a certain level of influence at, various leverage points within systems and this idea that you can start to almost like recalibrate them to produce positive outcomes from the outset and and that that's important for investors because then it can essentially help them avoid having to contend with like i mean the laundry list right of these various societal environmental issues just keeps seemingly growing um Mm -hmm. and so it's like how do you help uh, investors essentially avoid those in the first place um and and that's that's fundamentally. And so when you think about this kind of wide range of various tools, um, they stress collaborative action. They stress building shared knowledge bases. They stress setting industry standards um, and essentially doing things that are ultimately not just maximizing the impact or the effectiveness of the impact that investment decisions are making, but that they go also to try to influence the behavior and characteristics well beyond the portfolio. And so we always have this like kind of classic example, and you see this kind of manifesting with big asset, institutional asset owners that have a very long-term time horizon, so pension funds in particular, where they're understanding the virtue of like, look, we might be the biggest investor. So if we're GPIF, we're the biggest pension fund in the world, that GPIF alone still can't solve climate change. And so GPIF knows that it has to collaborate with other investors to actually create the kind of 
influence that would actually be necessary to really start to affect change. And so, they're, and they're doing that in partnership with a lot of others around like Climate Action 100 Plus and other sorts of initiatives that are really meant to bring investors together to drive towards a common common goal. That's that kind of speaks to the heart of everything. And so, you know, we have this six step process in the book and we talk about it, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, it fundamentally just comes down to, there are ways to do this with, you know, your conventional techniques around investment belief statements, around portfolio construction, around manager selection, corporate engagement, but that there is this all like this big other toolkit of various techniques that can also be used if you're going to go, like, like I said, if you're going to go beyond the portfolio to really start to influence bigger change. Mm-hmm. The, a question that always comes up in, in uh, these conversations we've been having. I think this is our ninth or tenth uh, podcast. I should really know, but I haven't counted them <laughs> lately. They've all uh, been so it, memorable. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. I, I love them all equally, all, uh-huh. my, all my podcast children equally. Um, but it gets into the question of the data yeah. uh, and you know, in, you know the information we have as investors. And systems level is a little bit different than you know your sector analysis or company analysis. But is the data we have fit for purpose for what you guys are doing? Is it improving? Where does it need to go? Yeah. So, I mean, full stop. I think I think it's it's for sure improving, and and it's getting us closer to what we need. I mean, I I often say like this industry generally is kind of almost this like really beautiful spec house that was built, and that it was built in a way that it didn't necessarily take into account the environment that it was operating within, the plumbing where it needed to connect and sources of electricity and like all of that, right? So the levels of customization that's needed to be able to really do this effectively in certain contexts, certain industries, certain dynamics. Um, But having said that, I think when you look at the work of the Value Reporting Foundation, which houses both integrated reporting framework and SASB standards, global reporting initiatives, CDP, TCFD, you know, go down the acronym list. I think we've they've all made this like great progress in the development of uh, KPIs um, for material data. And I think you know if you look at the kind of efforts to rationalize all of these different sets of KPIs, um, take the recent announcement about the International Sustainability Standards Board, the ISSB, that was right. recently announced at COP. I mean, that's huge, right? But but it goes back to, and I, and I just want to reinforce this point because we talked about materiality right at the top, is that these, that the material kind of social, financial, and environmental considerations and systemic risks, these are all likely to kind of wax and wane over time. Right. Um, and, and really kind of understanding not only the data most relevant today, but what we're going to need um, from disclosure in the future. I think all of that is going to be really important um, if we're going to start to better kind of manage the dynamic nature of materiality when it comes to these really dynamic, complex, ever-changing systems. So you're saying it's not easy. (laughs) Yes, it it is. And it's it's not going to get any easier. It's a puzzle (laughs) wrapped within a riddle buried inside (laughs) an enigma. Yes. All right. Final question. Uh, before we get to the fun stuff, uh, not that this hasn't been fun, uh, you know, I get you know an individual investor or portfolio manager or an analyst, you know, wants to walk away from this you know podcast understanding, you know, how can they better integrate uh, systems level thinking into what they're doing? Uh, so, what advice would you give them? Uh, you know, besides reading a book, of course, which, <laughs> they, should, which, which they should do. Uh, but you know, yeah. where where should they look and where should they start? 
Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. This question reminds me of there's that Warren Buffett quote, pointing out the rain no longer counts, building arcs does. And I think, you know, if I had one headline thing for investors, like get off the sidelines, take action. Like that, mm-hmm. that's the basic thing. You just got to start. It's like fluoride. Once you get it in the water, you can't take it out, you know, mm-hmm. get rolling. And so I think a lot of investors, when they look at this, they think that there has, there's some kind of super detailed, well thought out methodology and uh, operating plan for how you do this. And, and yeah, some investors are going to start with some very comprehensive plan. Some are going to take incremental steps. And when we talk about all these different 10 techniques for system level influence, you know, some investors are going to do one, some are going to do others or multiple. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they're going to, some will work together with others. Some will work on their own. But, but at the end of the day, really coming back to these six steps around goal setting, around allocating assets, deciding where to focus, all of that, they, there are these lighter touch ways to do it where you're essentially modifying existing policies um, and programs. Uh, there's deeper touch ways of rethinking how you construct actual products. And then there's the, the broader things about kind of understanding the data landscape and understanding the ability to set, you know, mandatory or voluntary standards. And there's all these sort of, sort of entrance points that investors can take. And I once again, go back to it's for investors, it's be very clear about the way the, think about the paradigm, because these are systems, think about the current paradigm of the system, and then start to envision what an alternative would look like. And from there, once you're very clear about eat this, not that, if you are very clear about what you don't want to eat anymore, but what you do want to, like in terms of the vision that you have for these healthy systems, right. everything else, all the mechanical technical parts start to kind of flow from there. So it's just, just get clear about the acknowledgement of a system and the kind of change that you'd like to see happen. And then you can start to understand, like if it's an issue around income inequality, well, you know, there's a lot of gray spaces on the data map that still need to be colored in for us to even get close to really being able to affect this at a systemic level, okay, that's an interesting entrance point for an investor right. to start to figure out how to collaborate with others, like the Workforce Disclosure Initiative or, or, or other opportunities like that. So it's just to simply say, be very clear about the change you'd like to see, and then you can go through the detailed process of really trying to figure out the light or heavy touch ways to integrate it into your six steps. I, I think that's a great answer. You know, you just, you just it's... I think that's one of the most interesting things about where we are in our you know, our little ESG investing world that we we play in, is that a lot of the rules haven't been made, uh, and a lot of the directions where things are going to go haven't been those roads haven't been started. You know those 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 roads haven't been paved yet even, and so it's an exciting place to be. But you have to oh, the saying I like I come back to is you can't steer a parked car. You, know, <laughs> you have you have to. You have to start and start going somewhere. You know where you want to get. You don't know exactly know how to get there. But if you just stay in park and wait for you know the information to come to you, that's that's not a way to, to get things done. I will um, say, though, my dri- driving prowess would suggest that I probably should <laughs> keep the car parked. But, yes, I, I take your point, Matt. Well, that's a whole other podcast we've talked about. <laughs> well, now's the, now's, as I said, the fun part for us uh, or you and, and maybe the painful part for our listeners because this is where we assign them homework. You know, but beside, and, and we've probably plugged your your book and John Lecomnick's book enough. Uh, you know, if, but if not, feel free to plug that again. 
but what what are some resources? Uh, you know, what are you reading? What are some of the resources people are listening to or watching? You know, what are some resources our listeners uh, can use to better dive into this topic and better understand what's going on? Yeah, no. So it's a great question. Um, I, you know, I mentioned Danella Meadows' thinking in systems. So I think for those that just want like the purest understanding of systems dynamics, mm-hmm. not necessarily as it applies to investment, but just generally, that's it'll, great, it'll, it'll get you. It'll get your brain in that space to start thinking that way. Yeah, it might break your brain because it's a, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a light read, but it's a tough read. So, um, you know, set aside some time. Um, I think when you start to think about other dimensions of this work, um, there's a couple of other interesting reports that came out around the same time as my book with Steve and Jim and John's book. Um, one is ESG 2.0, Measuring and Managing Investor Risks Beyond the Enterprise Level, which was written right. by Delilah Rothenberg and her colleagues at Predistribution Initiative. Another, and I mentioned this because presumably a lot of the folks listening are going to say, you know, I'm focusing on the SDGs. Are those systems? and yeah. In some ways, they are. Um, And so I would really encourage people to look at, we need to talk why it's time for institutional investors to embrace SDG-aligned investing by Mirta Castropelli and her team at Beyond Alpha. And then I would also say just as like the cautionary tale with all of this, right? Like systems-level investing and the pursuit of it, there are going to be more and more investors that are going to be making very big claims about uh, impact and progress that's being achieved, um, and that the story that they tell may not always be truthful. And so we always have to be mindful in the same way that we are about impact and greenwashing. We now have to think about, is there a system level investing washing that could potentially happen? Mm, And so very much it's on my nightstand. I have not actually started it, but it's on my nightstand. Um, the key man by Simon Clark and Will Loach, I believe, um, which is about what happened with Abraj, which is the Dubai-based private equity firm that went down in scandal a few years ago. They were like the darlings of the impact investment world, and it's it's a very it's an interesting it, it promises to be a very interesting read. It's been recommended to me by like multiple people at this point. So I think that if you read those four uh, things, you'll get a mixture of. It'll blow your mind. You'll get a, a some more hope on how practically to do this, and then you'll also get the cautionary tale. I just realized I have to stop asking this question because my nightstand is getting far too thick with books. <laughs> I can't keep up. But but no, those those are great resources, and I, I've heard of two of them, and I hadn't heard of two of them, so I'll have to check them out. Uh, Bill, thanks again for uh, coming and talking with us today. Uh, I hope you had a good time. I did. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. Not a problem. Uh, And hope to see you soon. Take care. Take care.